If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. But rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts, always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. Love is. Good morning, Kingsgate. It's great to be with you in church today. What a pleasure to be here. What an honor. Love your country. Love England. Love. Um, most times I've been here, I've only ever really been to London. Never been out here to Peterborough. And I was at Cambridge yesterday. Never been to Cambridge. Only ever seen it on the movies. And it was even more beautiful in real life. And we went uh, punting down the river. We had a guy from Texas, Dallas, Texas with us that thought we were going hunting, but we were going punting. I'm glad he didn't bring his gun, that's for sure. Um, it's been such a joy to spend time with Dave, Dave and Karen. I met Karen this morning for the first time. You've got lovely pastors, don't you? What a great bunch of people. And Dave and I have spent a lot of time on FaceTime the last few months getting ready for the learning communities this week. And so it's just been a real joy getting to know you more personally, Dave, and looking forward to the next couple of days. You're a great guy. You really are. You're doing a great thing here. And it's, it's an honor to be amongst it. I'm always amazed anywhere you go around the world. If you've ever been on holidays, which here in Europe, it's quite easy for you to skip across to another country with a different language. Um, in Australia, we're a long way from anywhere. It, did you know it takes 24 hours to get here by plane? It's a long way away. And so we're forever grateful that over 200 years ago, you sent a bunch of us down to Australia. <laughs> um, they probably weren't great feelings at the beginning when you first sent us down there. But if you look in the transcripts of the first two boats of the first fleet, um, Thomas Abel was in that list and Mary Abel on the third boat. And we're still struggling to find out how we're related exactly. But I know we are because we all came from Adam. So there's a link there somewhere. <laughs> but it, it's just... It's beautiful because you, you go to churches all over the world and in Europe you really are all over the world and so many different languages. And what I love is when you turn up to a place that you've never been before and even if it is the same language, it just feels like home. There's a sense of family, hey. And if you go to a church that speaks a different language, you may not understand anything that's on the screens and you, the tunes may be familiar but the words are not and you still walk in for the first time and you feel a sense of home. And there's something about God's kingdom that does that. And if you're visiting today and you've never really been a church person, don't be alarmed. Neither was I. I didn't grow up in this. My family, uh, my parents are still not churchies. And so when I first started going to church, I thought you were all weird. 
I really did. I couldn't believe that you could keep your arms up in the air for so long singing songs. I was like, what's wrong with you people? I'm getting hunger pains just being here. And it's just such an incredible journey to serve God and to love him and to know him. And it's, you know, if you are here for the first time and visiting, please just as much as you can, just relax. And this is a, it feels like a safe place. It's my first time here too. So your first time, my first time, it's all good. It's a real pleasure to be in on the series of Love Is, uh, just throwing my two bobs worth and try and bring a little bit of what I know about that. Um, I, think there's, I think love is a topic that we're never really going to exhaust. Sometimes I've been in church settings and people, they want deeper teaching and they want to go like real deep, go right down real deep, real deep. Like what are the meaning of the colors of the curtains and in the tabernacle and like go real deep. And I'm thinking, I'm still struggling to put love into practice. I don't want you to go too deep yet. I've still got a lot to learn about this one word. And there's so much to exhaust in this whole thought. And I think Jesus said it best when he said that people will know you belong to me by the way you love each other. And we, we need a revolution of love. We, we, need to, we need to live in a way that reflects the God that we believe in, the God that we serve, the God that we love. And it's just really easy these days to be a Christian, sadly. It's really easy to be a Christian these days and not look any different than the people around us. And it's not about what we wear, it's not about what we drive, it's not about our belongings, it's not even about the eloquence of our speech. It really has to be about the character and conduct of our lives. And if we can get somewhat of God's love and his grace, if somehow there can be a residue left on the inside of us each time we meet, then perhaps when we leave these halls each Sunday, maybe we'll make a bigger impact in our community, our society. I woke up this morning and I pulled the curtains back and the sun was just coming up over the ridge and you could only see out the windows partway because it was all foggy on the inside. There was condensation on the inside of the windows. And it just makes me again wonder what kind of condensation will be left on the inside of our hearts after days like today, where God breathes on us and there's a mist, a fog left in our hearts. So can we pray together? God, I thank you so much for this time in your presence, in your kingdom. We gather here, Lord, wanting to know more about you and we pray today that you would speak to us. Even if it's things that I don't say up here, that you would speak to us, you would nudge us, you would remind us of things, that one thing would lead to another thing, one thought to another thought, and something I say and something that happened this morning, and maybe we'd just be reminded and you would just speak to us and help us. We want to be more like you. We want to love like you do. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been married for 26 years. Got married on the 30th of January, 2.55 p.m. I was meant to be three o'clock, but she couldn't wait. <laughs> no, it's not true. There was no traffic in our town. <laughs> I think she'd done a few laps already around the church. Um, but we've been married for 26 years and we have two children. In fact, there's a photo of our family up here. That's my wife. Gorgeous Julia, 26 years married. That's Eli on the left. He's 17 years old. That's holding our dog, Charlie. Uh, he's going to go to dog heaven soon. Don't be sad. <laughs> he needs to. 
He's a terror. He just terrorizes the place. Honestly, we came, we moved into a new house recently and he somehow dug his way under the fence and we got home after a couple of hours and he was just, I don't know what noise he'd made in the community, but someone had got a bowl of water and put it at our front door. I was like, oh, sorry about that. Uh, That's Julia, my wife there with a hoodie on and that's Harmony. She's 19, turning 20 this year. And Nat, her boyfriend, who is a professional football player, not Football that you play with your feet, but football that you pass with your hands. It's interesting. I can see why you call it football. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he's a really great player. And they're gone. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) I want to talk about no greater love. There's a great scripture in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, uh, verse 12 and 13, if you have a Bible with you, some of these will go up on the screen. John 15, verse 12 and 13 says, this is my commandment. It's Jesus speaking. How do we know it's Jesus? Because it's written in red. This is my commandment. Jesus speaking. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. In the same way I have loved you. This is why I find this topic confronting. I don't always love people the same way God loves me. As a parent, I don't always love my kids the same way God the Father loves me. I find this very challenging. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down one's life. I looked it up in the Greek to know exactly what it meant, lay down. Do you know what it means? It means to lay down. I thought it might have been some fancy word, but it wasn't. (laughs) It just means to lay down. It means to kneel before. It means to lay prostrate. But it really is a surrender of priorities. It's a surrender of the will. It's, It's a letting go. Could you imagine what life would look like if we had that kind of love where we just laid it down for people? You you things that are really important to you, just laid it down. So let's talk about this. I know that's really important to me right now, but I'm going to lay it down. No greater love. There is no greater love than a love that is laid down, where you lay down your life for somebody else. Not just people that care about you, not just people that mean a lot to you, not just people who have done something nice to you, but you lay it down. It's a difficult thing to do these days, to lay down your life. I always find it a challenge to love like God loves. Um, in leadership, we've been, Dave was saying, we've been in Hillsong Church for the last 20 years and part of that last 10 years we planted 27 different church campuses across Australia. So there were 30 different campuses, there's over a thousand staff that we were looking after, um, there was 43,000 people the last weekend that I was there, end of last year, just on a weekend, and 89 different services across the weekend in lots of different locations. And so you are meant to lead all these people and work with all these people and lead all these staff and lead all these people. And when things don't go the way they're meant to go, I find myself getting frustrated and I'm always reminded of this, that we're to love the way God loves us. Have you ever found that God doesn't get as frustrated with you as much as you get frustrated with others? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed, you know, when you talk about confrontation, it's got such a negative thought wrapped around it because most of our experiences are actually quite negative about confrontation. And people often ask me about 
confrontation and leadership? What's the best way to confront? And I always say the best way to confront anybody is the same way God confronts you. And if you notice when God confronts you, it's specific, it's accurate, he's not vague. He's not kind of just giving you this general vibe that he's not happy with you. Like he actually speaks to you about what he wants to talk about. But you're not left feeling smaller. You're left feeling grander. You're left feeling more valuable and you're more loved and cared for. And you know exactly what you've done wrong and you know what you must do to change. But you're on your way with a spring in your step feeling like, I'm loved. That's confrontation, God's style. So we're to love the way God loves. It's such a pleasure to jump into this series. Let's just have a little recap on this passage that was put up on the screens. What a great way to put it out and to read 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong. You ever live next door to anybody that plays the drums? If I could speak all the languages, I can speak. I speak Australian and English. They're the only two languages that I speak. Um, but imagine, I would, I've always wanted to speak other languages. You ever been in an elevator and you're coming down and there's like a, a Japanese couple or there's someone from Croatia and, and you can tell that they know that you can't talk their language and they're chattering and gibbering away and you're like, I know they're talking about me, I know they are. I've always wanted to speak another language so that I could just wait till we get right to the end of the ride and then just as you walk out the door, reply in their language. I thought that'd be so much fun to do. But even if I could speak every language, if I didn't love, it'd just be like that annoying neighbor that plays the drums in the early hours of the morning. It doesn't really matter what we're good at if we can't learn to love. Everything I have, if I give it away and I don't love, it's a waste. What I notice about this passage, it says love is a bunch of things, but it also love is not a bunch of things. So love is patient, it is kind, but it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not arrogant. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We so easily tally up our friends' mistakes. It's amazing how we don't want to remember things and they just all come flooding back so quick. I'm so grateful that God does not remember all the time, or at least he doesn't bring it up to us all the time. Love is patient. Have you realized that love doesn't struggle being patient? Love does never struggle being patient. Love doesn't struggle because love is patient. Love doesn't have a problem being patient. If, if love was in a line and it was taking too long, it wouldn't get impatient because love is patient. So that means whenever I am not patient, <laughs> I'm not loving. That's why this is challenging. It's not just about trying to understand more about love. It's actually figuring out how to practice it, how to do it how to actually make this make sense. So let me just give you one last passage that I'm hoping will pull this together. It's in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And it's a story, the subtitle in my Bible says, the most important commandment. It says, one of the teachers of religious law, these are people who know a lot. 
You thought Dave knew a lot. Right? They, they, they knew a lot. The teachers of religious law were standing there listening to a debate. I know he does actually know a lot. People are like, yeah, anyway. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate and he realized that Jesus had answered well. Imagine that, Jesus actually answering well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? I think it was a genuine question. I don't think he was asking, you know, what's the least I can do and still get in? <laughs> Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your... There's four things here. And you're going to remember this message so easily after today. You're going to love the Lord your God with what are they? Number one, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Yep, tops. Tops, chops. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In some passages it says that the, all the law and the prophets hang on this. In fact, if you can get love right, you've fulfilled the law. And sometimes the reason we want to talk about commandments and rules and laws is because we still haven't understood love. But when we understand love and we practice love, rules aren't something we have to bother with. A friend of mine used to say, if you can love, you can do anything you want because if you love you're not going to do something that's going to hurt somebody you can do whatever you want if you love whatever you want because what you want to do is what love wants so the teacher of religious law replied well said teacher you have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other and I know it is more important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength than to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And nobody dared ask him any more questions after that. That phrase, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. Um, you're not far means you're close, doesn't it? You're close. You're not far. You're close to the kingdom. You're not in, but you're close. Imagine knowing so much about the Bible and so much about the greatest commandment. And he said, it's more important to love than to do anything else. And Jesus' response is, you're close. You're not in. You, you, haven't, you haven't got into God's kingdom yet, but you're close. We don't want to be close. We want to be in. And the secret of getting in is found in this greatest commandment. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. How do you love God with all your strength? I mean, do you go to the gym so that you can practice loving God? How do you love God with all of your strength, all of your mind? Let me break these things down for you. Four things to try and help us to understand how we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number one, you, you, when you love God with all of your heart, it means that you have a heart to let go. It's a heart to let go. You, you don't keep things in your heart. 
All of us have an invisible throne in our lives. It's, our heart is our invisible throne. And depending on who sits on that or what sits on that will navigate your life. So the one that's meant to sit on the throne of your heart is Jesus himself. And he doesn't always. And it, once you... Once you realize God's love for you and his great sacrifice of laying down his life for you, and then you trust him and you start on this friendship journey with him, that's when you metaphorically put Jesus on the invisible throne, on your heart. You let him become occupying of your heart. That's what it means to become a Christian. But as you do life, it's easy to put other things next to him. And I reckon sometimes... If we could see Jesus on the throne of our hearts, it would just look like a cluttered, crazy mess. Like the throne would look messy. There's, like, where are you, Jesus? <laughs> you have to lift up like, all the belongings that are so important to us and the clothes and, and, and the success and the trophies. And It's like Jesus is in there somewhere on the throne, but it's meant to be him only. When Jesus was talking about this, the Lord is the only Lord. We're not meant to have any other things that take the position of him on the throne of our heart. And so what's the best way to love God with your heart is to let things go. Um, that could be people. There are, there are people that are disappointing. The things that happen are a disappointment. That you may not be thinking right now, it may not be top of mind that there's even an issue, but if you are driving downtown, you're see a text message or someone calls you and you know your heart stops you kind of skips a beat you're like oh, oh that person again that means that person is in your heart and it's really difficult to love God with all of your heart when part of it is occupied with a hurt and so what scripture is teaching us about loving God with all of our heart is that we have to have a heart that's willing to let go now, it may not even just be hurt. I feel like there's someone, the Lord was speaking to me when we were singing songs before, worshipping, that there's someone here who's, you've, you've got an issue with your sister. That there's, a, there's an offence there, there's a grudge, there's, there's, there's a falling out, there's something happened with your sister. And I know these things can be difficult to work through and they can be hard to sort out. But what we need to understand, friends, is that when you want to worship God with all of your heart, there are some things that you're just not going to get a breakthrough when we're holding things. We've got to let it go. And I know it's painful, and sometimes the reason we keep people here in prison, right in here, is because we want to at least inflict some pain, don't we? I mean, are we allowed to be honest in church? I mean, the reason we harbor a grudge and we have unforgiveness, is because we're trying to punish people. So if you're really horrible to me, and then you badmouth me and gossip about me, and now I'm getting angry at you, and I feel like I can't do anything about it, and I'm not able to tell everyone it's not true, then I hold you in my heart like a little voodoo doll, and I'm trying to punish you, but you don't even know that I'm doing it. Well, how does that hurt you? Holding grudges is like me drinking poison hoping you will die. It's just not going to happen. I'm the one that gets sick from holding a grudge. I'm the one that is harmed with bitterness. And it's really difficult when you're trying to worship God with all your heart 
when there's something stuck inside and we've got to let it go how on earth do you let it go well that's what forgiveness is about that's where you know a great example would be just talk to God about the person you hate did he just say hate in church Christians don't hate people well we do in Australia and I mean you know you guys here butter wouldn't melt in your mouth I find that it's really therapeutic to get really honest with God and just to tell him why you're frustrated with somebody and what's up. And it's like, God, how on earth can you still let them live? Like, I'm just beside myself that they're even allowed to be here. And if you keep having a conversation with the Lord, it doesn't take long before he starts to, you know, he doesn't like slap you down straight away. He just listens and he lets you talk and whinge and get it off your chest and you chat to him about it. And then eventually he starts, you know, kind of showing you a little bit of a mirror and you start going, you know, what? oh, that looks a bit ugly. What's that? Oh, that's me. <laughs> oh, wow. And he's like, yeah, look, I've, you know, I've been seeing that for a long time, Joel, but, you know, I didn't come down hard on you. And, and it, he's got this beautiful way of softening you with the issues you have of other people. And I don't know any other way to get these things out other than to talk to the Lord about it or another trusted friend or um, you know, somebody. You know, I was, saw a psychologist at the beginning of last year for the first time uh, just making sure that I was processing things right because I found myself getting bitter. And he actually said to me, you've got to make sure that these things don't lead to bitterness. And it was really helpful for me because I'm trying to live a life of love, but these things, you can get trapped in these things. We, we lived in this beautiful unit on, on the beach in Sydney, and like right, not on the sand, like it was up on the cliff, but you know, it looked out at the ocean. And so our view was just all ocean. Like you, you'd be, some mornings I'm making coffee at the kitchen bench, and I'd just kind of look up and go, oh, there's a whale jumping. It was beautiful. So when we left Hillsong and planted our church, which was, today was like just the fifth Sunday service today, and when we did that, we knew that that meant that we were going to have to make some changes. And so we had to sell our beautiful place that we thought we had bought forever, and we were going to retire there and live there and die there, and we had to let go of that. But it's amazing how you can keep living life with regret of decisions you've had to make because of something else or someone else and all I'm saying is it's really difficult to love the Lord your God with all your heart when we're still holding things on the inside here's the second thing number two so it's a heart to let go love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so if it's a heart to let go it's a soul to be slow it's a soul that can slow down it's a soul that can be present be here be, be right in the moment. It, it's so easy to be in a, you know, when, when life starts to get going and, and the worries of this world and the anxieties and just you know, all the activity and all the things you've got to do and it's just easy to be so rushed on the inside. And this is not a location thing. You're not busy because you live in a city. You're not busy because of the town you live in. The, you, you become... These are all relative. You, you, you slip into your society. You, you could have come from London right downtown, Piccadilly, and then you move out here and you feel like everything's so slow out here. But within a couple of years, you'll be back to being busy again because it's not about your geography as much as it's about what's happening on the inside. 
and it just winds you up. And when you get wound up, it's really difficult to be present. And when we come to church, what we're trying to practice here so that we can put it into practice outside in the community, we're trying to put into practice how to love God, how to meet with Him, how to be present with Him, how to receive from Him. And it's really difficult to love the Lord your God with all your soul when your soul is racing on the inside. And so it's trying to learn how to slow that down, how to quieten your soul. The Bible talks about arrest. In Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about arrest. And the book of Hebrews says that we obtain all the promises by faith. So rest is entered by faith. We need faith to enter his rest. And I'll tell you why. When you're going to stop worrying about something, you need faith to stop worrying. That's why it's faith to enter his rest. And if we don't enter his rest, we'll miss out on the rest of who he is. And so it's learning to slow down on the inside. You can still be keeping up on the outside. I'm not saying that you're meant to be like, just kind of everything's now, I've got to be so slow, so slow. You get to work tomorrow really late. Why, what are you doing late to work? Well, I was in church yesterday and the guy that was preaching from Australia said, I've got to slow down. No, no, no. You can be all slow on the outside and still a mess on the inside. So it's about being productive and effective, but it's about being slow and poised and present. Otherwise, you find yourself in a service and you, you could even have your hands up in worship and you're singing the songs and we're looking at you and it all looks great, but on the inside, you're like, did I turn the heater off? Oh no, the oven's still on. What am I doing? What time do I start work tomorrow? And that is a sign of just this, all this busyness and this wound up and it's learning to control that and settle it, still it so that you can connect. We're in a society right now that is so busy on the inside. These digital devices, they're a blessing and a curse. You can sit with somebody that you really, really love but while you're with them, you're not even talking to them, you're talking to somebody that's not even there. And you look around in airports and restaurants and cafes and dinner tables at homes and and everyone's just kind of, so what did we ever do a hundred years ago? <laughs> we didn't do that, did we? <laughs> so it's a heart to let go, it's a soul to be slow, it's a mind to change. A mind to change. Let me submit this thought to you. None of us love God for who he truly is. We don't. We don't fully understand who God is. We understand. We understand him so far. We understand him a little bit more than maybe we did a year ago. But none of us loves God for who he really is. We only love him for who we know him to be right now. And if you look back on your life, hopefully what you would have noticed is that you know more about God today than you did before. So it's not about being a Christian for a long time. It's about being a Christian who keeps progressing in friendship. I've been married for 26 years, but if I have not progressed in my relationship with Julia, I could be still doing the same dumb things for 26 years. Being married 26 years does not make me more intimate. It does not make me more trustworthy. It just means I've been hanging around longer. So we could be Christians for a long time and still not know God more than we did yesterday. But if we're going to love God with all of our minds, we have to have a mind that's willing to change. What are you willing to change about what you think you know about God? Are there things today that you're ashamed that you thought about before? Because that's a good sign. 
That means that you've updated your theology. You've updated your thoughts. Your mindsets have changed. We've all got mindsets. If you come from another church, from another religion, you're going to come in with mindsets. Your mind has been set from different ways of thinking. And as we come into God's presence to love him with our minds, we need to understand that we don't know much about him at all. And if we can walk in with that posture of God, I don't know much. I'm finite. You are infinite. You are everything. And then you're at least willing to have your thoughts and your mindsets challenged. One of the great disturbances of Christendom over the years has been the fact that we've not been allowed to touch the program because we thought the program and the structure, the way church is done, was sacred. But it's the message that is sacred, not the method. And what I love about Kingsgate, about Dave and Karen, about your whole team, is that you're not precious with the method you're willing to change. But the message will never change. That's eternal. That's why you guys can build a building like this that doesn't look like a chapel. Because we meet in a football leagues club. We don't meet in a hall like this. We don't meet in a chapel. We don't have a cross. We've got poker machines. But there's some people that can't walk into a club to worship God because their mind is stuck on things that are not in the message. So it's a mind to change. If you want to worship God with all of your mind, be willing to change. And the last one is strength. You love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's a heart to let go. It's a soul to be slow. It's a mind to change. And it's a strength to endure. It's a strength to endure. It's the ability. If you want to love God with all your strength, it's the ability to keep going. Stick it out. Keep going. Now, we live in great countries. You here in England, me in Australia. And they're great countries. There's far worse places to live on the earth. But we've still got to make sure that our Christianity is up for a tough ride. This religion that we have, this faith that we subscribe to, we must understand to love God with all of our strength means we're not only going to love God when it's sunny. We'll also love him when it's raining, when it's dark, when it's terrible, when I'm being chased down the road, when, I'm, when there's guards at the door saying, you're not allowed to worship him today. We don't live in that day here yet, but what if it was to come? What kind of endurance would we have? What, what is our strength? To worship the Lord with all your strength means to continue, not just to start, but to continue. I really believe that we're going to get to heaven, and I think we're going to notice that there's a whole lot of miracles that were just around the corner, but we gave up right here. And some of those we blamed God because they didn't happen, but we just didn't have the strength to endure. It was so close. All of heaven was rallied. Angels were busy. Everything was going on to make this happen, and we just gave up one day too short, three prayers too quick. It was just around the corner. If you're waiting for something, keep waiting. You see those notes on the door of shops where it says, back in 10 minutes? What do you do? Keep waiting. So if God's like, I got you, I'll be back. What do we do while we're waiting? Just keep waiting. He'll be back. He's the heavenly Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. <laughs> He's coming. It's a, it's a heart to let go. It's a soul to be slow, a mind to change, and a strength to endure. That's how we love him. That's what love is. And there's no greater love 
than that love that we can put into practice for everybody around us. Can we get the team to come back up and join me, please? Come on, Simon.